But I've got a, a very specific message um, today. You know, we've been talking loads about running the race and Hebrews chapter 12 for so many months now. Um, and the reality is that as we run this race, life is continually happening around us. Right? Life, we live in this world. Life still happens as we run this race of faith, as we have our eyes fixed on Jesus. Everything still happens all around us. And the race of faith that we are running can and actually should determine our response to what is taking place around us. And so I've got a very specific message today and into next week as well. And I want to communicate in these two weeks, if you're taking notes, a message of a title is this, what to do in a cost of living crisis. What to do in a cost of living crisis. And I believe that this message and next week is going to be relevant to each and every single one of us in different ways because I believe for some it's relevant because you're listening to what the news are saying and it's causing you to have extreme worry and anxiety. For others, I believe this is relevant because for many of us, we've stood filling up our car, wondering how on earth the tank in our car has grown overnight, or wondering how the magic is happening, but we are reaching figures we have never seen before. It's like, wow. And if you're like me, who's a little bit like, you like to have everything lined up. I'm one of these people at the petrol station who like to have it at a round number. I know I've got issues, but I need to have it at a round number. And it's annoying because when you flick over to and one penny, I'm like, oh, now I need to go to the next five. But, but, but in this cross, it seems like you just keep on going and going. Some of you are like, he is wit. You knew that anyway. But it keeps going and going and going up. I, I believe this is relevant because some of you, um, the reality is you're due to remortgage soon. And you're looking at interest rates beginning to rise. Others of you are looking at the cost of rental spiraling out of complete and utter control. I, I believe this is relevant because some of you today are, are thinking, yeah, it's lovely that it's, it's boiling hot and the windows are open and the air's coming in, but there's a time coming when it's going to be winter and we're going to have to try and work out how on earth we keep warm, but actually the, the, the cost of this is going spiraling out of control. Don't worry, there's good news coming today, <laughs> but we need to live in the reality of a world that we're living in. Just because we're Christians it doesn't mean that we're living in Teletubby land where the cost of living crisis doesn't affect us. We are not of this world, but we live in this world. We are living and breathing and acting in this world. This is relevant because some of you, you may say you're not really struggling right now, but you know that you've had to make cutbacks. You've had to change how you're doing things in life. And you're thinking, well, how long will this go on for? And how difficult might this get? Now, for others of you in this room, you would say, do you know what, this actually doesn't affect me at all, the, the reality of what we're in right now. And that's not you saying it from a prideful place, you're just in a place where you're a little bit more comfortable and finances aren't so much of an issue for you, but it's still going to be relevant to you what we look at over the next couple of weeks, because we're going to look at kingdom economics and biblical principles when it comes to how we handle our finance. And then there's some of you listening who may be younger, you're at school, you're at college, you're at university, and you're like, I, I don't really handle money right now, but the truth is one day you will. And a lot of our views and what we think about finance and money actually are shaped by what we were brought up in. And so we've got to understand not just what parents and society has taught us, but what the Word of God says about finances as we run this race of faith. So I believe this is going to be relevant over the next couple of weeks because all of us, in, in one way or another, every single day are using finance or are influenced or uh, are dealing with finance one way or another. And as we watch the news and as we listen to the forecast, for some of you it's causing you to worry. 
for, for, for some of you, it's leading you to this place of extreme anxiety and fear. And so we want to speak into that. Now, here's some headlines that we're going to put up on the screen. Now, again, this is not to depress you further, because trust me, there's good news coming for those who are part of the kingdom of God. But we need to live in the reality of this. So if we can just have some of these up. These are just from the last couple of weeks, and then the good news is coming, okay? Worse than the, uh, just go back to one, worse than the pandemic, price rises push more people into financial trouble. Let, let me just give you an insight. You will never get good news reading the, the papers. You will always get good news reading your Bible. You weigh it up and choose which one to go with. Okay, next one. Energy bills to rise more than predicted. Thank you very much, off Gem Boss. That's really grateful. Okay, next one. Motorists hit by record monthly hike in petrol prices. Yeah, right. Hadn't realized that was happening. This is the reality of what we are living in. And you can watch that and listen to it and read that. And that can cause you to be in this place of fear. Maybe even some of you may be losing out on sleep because this is a true concern for you. And that may feel rational because you look at your bills and you're wondering where they're going. Or else it may feel irrational. But actually, if you were to take a step back, you realize actually finances aren't an issue for me. But you're just picking up on this spirit of fear that is all around society and and broadcast through the news channels. That's why I encourage you, yes, be informed. But be careful that when you're watching news, when you're seeing things, that you're not consuming stuff to a place of being overwhelmed. Find the off button and open up the Word of God. There's good things that the Word of God has to share with you. Now into Matthew, into these thoughts in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus speaks about this very subject. He talks about worrying about provision. And we looked at these words back in a message in February, but I want us to look at them again today in this specific context. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read from verse 25. Now just before this, in verse 24, Jesus makes this very important statement. He says, you cannot serve God and at the same time be enslaved to money. He shares that point. And then he says this in verse 25. He says, that is why I tell you. So because you can't serve God fully and at the same time be beholden to money and enslaved by money, because of that, that's why I'm telling you, do not worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food or your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all of your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have such little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? Jesus today would probably add, how am I going to pay the gas bill? How will I afford the rent? How will I ever get to a place where I can buy a house? How are we going to pay for the kids' school uniform and at the same time manage to keep up filling the car? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. The New King James Version puts verse 33 this way, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So into these thoughts on worry, Jesus steps in and he says, you don't need to be like everyone else worrying 
about these issues. You don't need to bow the knee to fear. Yes, there's a reality to what's going on, but do not worry. Why? We looked at that back in February. If you want to listen to that message, we spoke a whole message on the issue of worry. But why is Jesus saying this? Number one, because worrying is fruitless as we looked at in February. But secondly, because we can know that we are part of children of God. We are part of another kingdom. That we may be in this world, but we are not of this world. Amen? And when we seek the kingdom of God first, we can be like the psalmist in Psalm 37 that says, I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken. Amen. Now here's what we need to understand. That the Bible reveals a number of different names for God. And each of those names, we've looked at some of them before, each of those names reveal a facet or a characteristic of who God is. One of those in Genesis chapter 22, we read this name, Jehovah Jireh. Right? Many of you have heard that name before. Jehovah Jireh, which means this, God is our provider. The Lord will provide. So as children of God, we, we need to first and foremost understand this, that ultimately God is our provider. Do you know that this morning? Your, your, your job is not your provider. If you've ever been made redundant overnight, you know that to be true. That you can have it one moment, you cannot have it the next. That your job is not your provider. Your, your talent is not your provider. The government isn't your provider. Benefits aren't your provider. The, your pension is not your provider, right? I mean, by the time I retire, it'll be like 90 before you can draw your pension. That is not my provision. God is our provider. Deuteronomy 8, 17 to 18. It says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. My degree has got this wealth for me. My knowledge has got this wealth for me. My ability has got this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And it's only when we begin to see that and begin to see God as our provider that we can be set free from the issue of, money, of, of worry concerning our finances. Now that doesn't mean that we don't manage our finances. That doesn't mean that we don't budget or plan or any of those things. Those things are fine. Those things are good. But when it comes to the fundamentals of trust, we can live in the confidence that God is Jehovah Jireh. He is the one who provides. Amen? He is faithful and he will not change. Inflation rates, interest rates change. Our jobs aren't always secure. Fuel prices change. The retirement age changes. The energy cap changes. But our God is the same yesterday, today and forever. If he was Jehovah Jireh in Genesis chapter 22, he's Jehovah Jireh in 2022 for us today. That is the reality. But here's what I want to drill down into today and into next week. But if we want to live under God's blessing and protection, we need to first be willing to live according to his instruction. Let me say that again. It's going to come up on the screen for those taking notes this morning. If we want to live under God's blessing and protection, we need to be willing to live according to his instruction. Now, the Bible sets out throughout a couple, a uh, number, in fact, of principles about kingdom economics, about how to handle our finances. Now, now let me just put this disclaimer out there, and I'm just going to say this once. It's like, hello, hello, isn't it? I shall say this only once for those of you who used to watch that. I'm going to say this once and not again. Let me just put out this disclaimer in this moment. Just because we're talking about finances this morning, don't switch off. Lean in. 
hear what God's word has to say because it's amazing how I could spend 12 years speaking about all sorts of different things in church and get a great response. But the minute you talk about finances, it's amazing how you get people's backs up, people get offended. Why? Because finances is the thing that we hold so tightly. That's why Jesus was very insightful when he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Because the heart and our, and our finances are so often linked. I remember when I first heard certain things, it offended me. Uh, and I wanted to punch the people saying it, so hopefully no one will do that this morning. Nimi, get on them if I do. Okay. <laughs> so it can get a reaction, but we don't want to be a church that teaches part of the Bible. We want to be a church that teaches a full counsel of God, as the Apostle Paul put it. And we need to realize that Jesus, if you are offended with a speaker today speaking about finance, Jesus, you would have been offended by him too. Because he spoke about money all the time. He's, 15% of his preaching involved finance in one way or another. It's a reality. And so it's important we speak about this stuff because as church, we don't want you to just be hearing what the world is saying and the world is pumping out information. The world is pumping out fear and for the church to remain silent on this issue. And so I want to talk today and next week concerning the subject of finance. Now today, we want to look at tithing. And then next week, we're going to look at other principles. Now, why are we doing this first? Because there's a principle in tithing about it becoming first. And so we're going to look at that and then next week, look at other principles. Now, as I said, this isn't about guilt. This isn't about legalism. This is about sharing kingdom truths that could release you in the area of worry concerning your finances today. Neither is this a fundraiser. When people hear me speak like this, sometimes they're like, oh, so you need... No, 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 this is not a fundraiser. By the way, we did a fundraiser last week for you. 300 and something pound you guys gave. It's incredible. Your generosity always amazes us. But this isn't about... Listen, you could come to this church all your life, never give a penny to the work of God, you'll still be a part of a church. You'll still be loved as a church. You'll still be supported as part of a church. This is about teaching God's word on this topic so that our finances can be under God's blessing and protection at a time when so many people are consumed with anxiety. So here's what I want to do for the remainder of our time this morning. I want to ask or look at some questions that are commonly asked and answer them using God's word. I want us to then ask some questions of ourselves. I'm going to share a little bit of mine and Kirsty's journey throughout and then we're going to wrap up and pray at the end. So let's start off with some general questions. The first one is this. What is the tithe? Now, that could be a whole huge series in itself, but for the sake of time and for the sake of simplicity in simple terms, the word tithe simply means one-tenth. And it's this basic idea of giving to God or returning, and we'll look at that in a moment, returning to God Attempt for all that comes into your life. So for Kirsty and I, every single month for the last 15 years of our marriage, 10% of all that comes into our life, we have returned to God. And we're going to look at what return means by that and to the work of God. So tithing is about putting God first in your finances. Remember, Jesus said, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek the kingdom of God first, and all these things will be added unto you. And so for Kirsty and I, we, we don't just want to be people who seek God first with our thoughts and with our time and with our energy and with our words. We want to do that, but we want to put him first in every single area of our lives because putting God first is a biblical principle that is throughout the whole of Scripture. And here's the thing I've learned, that actually tithing hasn't restricted us. Tithing has actually freed us from the worry of finances and from finances having a grip upon our lives. 
Okay, here's the second question. I knew it would go quiet as we went down this route. Okay, here's the second question. Wasn't the tithe just Old Testament law? Now, the reason that we're looking at this is because people ask this question, and the reason they ask this question is because tithe was a part of the Old Testament law. It was a part of that. And Jesus, we know, has fulfilled the law. Amen? We believe that. We know that Jesus has fulfilled the law. That in living a perfect life, Jesus fulfilled all of the moral laws that were in the law of Moses. In dying a perfect death, a sacrificial death, Jesus fulfilled all the ceremonial laws. And so surely, if the law has been fulfilled, then tithing isn't required anymore. Now here's the response to that. There's many things we could look at. Let me just share a couple. The first thing is this, that throughout Scripture, you see these times that before the law was even established, people understood the principle of tithing and the power of it. A couple of examples to throw out. Genesis chapter 14. We're not going to read it together, but you can look at it sometime. There's that moment where Genesis, uh, where Genesis, where Abraham has won a battle, a mighty battle, and he's taken home the spoils. He's got all of this, and he meets with this king called King Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek was a foreshadowing of Jesus. What does that mean? Simply, he was a representation of Jesus. And there's this moment where there's bread and, and wine representing the foreshadowing communion. But there's also a moment where Abraham says, I'm going to give you a tenth of all that I have won in this battle, foreshadowing the principle of tithing. Here's another one in Genesis chapter 28, again, way before the law. There's a moment where Jacob encounters God. You may have read it before, and he, he, he has this uh, intimate moment and this powerful moment of encountering his God. And in that moment, he says, do you know what? Because you have so blessed me from this day forward, a tenth of everything that comes into my life, I will return to you from this day forward. Fast forward into the Gospels, Jesus himself references upholding tithing. So tithing is, yes, was a part of the law, but it's a biblical principle seen throughout God's word. Here's, here's another question, and this may seem kind of a strange question to ask, but actually it's a question that I have been asked, and it's a question that I believe is actually falsely taught to try and guilt trip people into doing something that they aren't just in that space to hear. Here's, here's the question. Does tithing affect my salvation? That's a genuine question I've been asked. Let me give you a very simple answer. No. N-O, no. Tithing does not affect your salvation. Our salvation is based upon the finished work of Jesus Christ upon the cross. Amen. And nothing else, nothing more. You can't earn your way to heaven by giving. Neither will you be kept out of heaven because you never tithed. Anyone who tells you other is a false teacher and do not believe a single word that they say. They're trying to manipulate you into that place of giving. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Ephesians 2 verses 8 to 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. Catch hold of that. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Here's another question. Will God love me more if I tithe? Again, no. Now sometimes people question this because the Apostle Paul said, God loves a cheerful giver. Yes, he does. But the reality is God loves the grumpy giver too. So that's good news for you today. If you give and you're grumpy, God loves you. And guess what? God loves the person who doesn't give anything. 
Because there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. There is absolutely nothing you could ever do to make God love you less. So we've got to understand this. Tithing is not an issue of salvation. It's not an issue of God's love. Don't let anybody teach you otherwise. But actually, it's a question of our trust and an insight into our relationship with finance. So every time Christy and I tithe, it's not because I'm insecure in my relationship with God. It's not because I'm trying to make God do anything in my life or make him love me anymore. It's done out of an understanding of trust and obedience. Okay, so let's move on to some other questions that I want us to ask ourselves, some rhetorical questions. And I'm going to share how tithing answers these questions today. Now, as we do, I want us to turn to this scripture. And this scripture Again, and it's important that we understand this has been wrongly taught by people around the world to try and guilt people into a situation. It's Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 to 12. But here's the reality. Just because somebody has misused scripture doesn't mean the scripture's not there. It doesn't mean the scripture's not real. So this scripture contains some incredibly powerful truths around the subject of tithing. And here's the context. God has been leading these people. These people have been faithful to God. Now they've turned their back on God. And he's specific about one way that they have turned their back on him. So Malachi 3, chapter 3, verse 8. Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Now other translations, instead of cheating, say rob. Very often you'll read that, rob me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, into the house of God, so that there will be enough food in my temple. Now in those days it was very much about grain and grain offerings and food stock because that's the, uh, the environment that they were in and obviously now we're more in the area of finance. If you do, says the Lord of Heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So Malachi 3 is almost, again, a foreshadowing of what Jesus says in that passage in Matthew when he's talking about not worrying. That in this moment, uh, Jesus is saying you can't serve God and be uh, in, you know, enslaved to finance. So put God first and he will give you everything else that you need. Malachi says put God first, test him, and the windows of heaven will be poured over your life. And so the tithe begins to answer some important questions for us and begins to pose Some important questions for us. Here's the first one. Do I ultimately trust in God or in my finances? Now again, hear my heart in all of this. None of this is condemning. All of this is about searching our heart together. Because you see, tithing actually isn't about finance. And you say, well, hang on, I thought, no, no. Tithing is bigger than finance. Tithing is actually an ultimate trust and test of who or what we actually place our trust in. See, the tithe is not about finance, it's about a test. And in what we just read in Malachi 3, he says, test me. Now, it's a two-way test. It's a test of our heart, but it's also a test of God's faithfulness and seeing, is he who he says he is? Now, we said at the beginning that tithe literally means a tenth. Now, that number 10 in different sections of Scripture, you see this 
as a test. Ten often represents a test in scripture. But if you look just a couple of examples, there were ten plagues that tested the heart of Pharaoh. Would he release them as they were in that place of captivity and slavery? There were ten commandments that were given to the nation of Israel to test their heart concerning this issue of obedience. So do we trust in money to be our provision, or do we trust God to be providing in a way that we're released to honor him with our finance? Now that leads to another question. Am I willing to honor God with my whole life, or just parts of it? You're still awake today. I know this is hard-hitting, but we don't want to be people who just only teach the nice, fluffy parts of Scripture that we enjoy. Am I willing to honor God with my whole life or just parts of it? You know, very often for people, it's the financial part of their world. I know it very much was for me that they're slowest in bringing before God and honoring Him with. Again, because of the control or the, the, how much we attach to finance. Proverbs 3 verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the best part, the first fruits, the first of everything you produce. Now often, the reason that we're reluctant to honor God in this section of our lives, the reason that we withhold is because this world has taught us to, to keep hold of. This world has taught us to build up. This world has taught us to store, not to give. But the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom where when we honor God first, then the rest of what we have will be blessed. Now again, that leads to another question, and this is fundamental. Do I view what I have as mine or as a blessing from God? Here's another way of asking that question. Do I view myself in life as an owner or a steward of what God has blessed me with? See, here's what Kirsty and I have come to learn over time, that everything we have comes from the hand of God. Our children are, are entrusted to us to steward. Our, our house, uh, whatever we have, it's entrusted, this, this congregation is entrusted to us to steward in life. Nothing that we have comes from us. Now, you, you may say, well, I'm self-made. Ever heard that phrase? I'm, I'm a self-made millionaire. I don't think there's any of that. I'm a self-made. Or, I, I did this. Or, I went to uni. I and, and I'm not pulling away from achievements of what people have put their time and effort to. I, I applaud that. But listen, we can say, oh, I'm self-made. If God didn't, didn't give you breath this morning, you wouldn't even be alive. Yeah. You wouldn't be here. So we can kid ourselves that we were self-made. I used to, for years, think, yeah, this is about me. This is about what I can do. If God didn't give me breath this morning, I wouldn't even be here in his presence. And so we are stewards of what we have been given. We'll probably look at that more next week. But in Malachi chapter 3, God is making this point that everything that we have comes from him. And all that he's asking us to do is return to him a section as a test. And he says this, don't rob me. Now isn't that interesting? Because think about it for a moment. If the buckets were going around today and we, we did our tithes and offerings, if the buckets were going around today, and you saw somebody suddenly pull out a little, little like cable clippers, and we got like the, the lids tied down. And suddenly they were they were clipping off the, the lid, and they took a wad of cash and put it in their pocket. I hope that you would do something about that. I hope you wouldn't go, "Hey, just give me half, and we'll keep this quiet, okay?" <laughs> I hope not, because we wouldn't put our hand. In, we wouldn't rob God. And yet God says, actually, look at it another way in Malachi chapter three. He says, by not giving or more precisely, by not returning to him what is rightfully his, he says, we 
are robbing him. Now, the first time I truly understood that, that blew my mind, that, that actually I would never take, but actually maybe in withholding, I was not returning what was due. Do you know, one of the most releasing and freeing things that I found in my life is this revelation. All I have is from the hand of God, and he's given me responsibility to steward it. And as I return to him what is rightfully his, I see blessing and protection upon what remains. Now, please understand, God does not need your money, okay? There is no cost of living crisis in heaven. The streets are paved with gold. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God does not need your money. It's a test of the heart and who we trust. So here's the final question. Are you willing to test him? No doubt you've heard this before, that this is the only place in Scripture where God offers this invitation, test me. Other places we're told not to test him. But in this moment, he says, test me in this. It's almost like God's saying, go on, go ahead and see what happens. Right? Now, growing up and before Jesus, I heard that in a negative way. And and I'm sure none of you ever heard that. But I've heard that said to me, go on, go ahead and see what happens. And that meant that if I went through what I was going to do, then I would have a black eye and the rest of the day would, go on, go ahead and see what happens, right? God's saying it in a positive. Go on, go ahead and see what happens. Test me in this. And here's his promise, blessing and protection upon what remains. You know, people ask me for Kirsty and I, are we worried about this cost of living crisis? No. And that's not because it doesn't affect us. We're looking at different things and being like, yeah, no, you've got to, you know, we've got to cut back on this or change this or not do this anymore, whatever uh, it might be. And, um, um, you know, we're due to sit the, the kids down and Gracie will love it. You know, I'm going to say, let's invest this winter in jumpers. Let's, let's, let's go the full heart. Do you know what? If you want a blanket all in one, let's go for that. And uh, let's not have a heating on for us. It's, it affects us like it's affecting each and every single one of you in one way or another. But are we worried? No. And that isn't, please hear me, that isn't because we're sat on some like huge wad of cash, okay? We, it's not because we've got savings, okay? Let me be very clear in that. And it's not because we don't have outgoings right? Everyone has outgoings that are going up and spiraling out of control. And um, I don't get free fuel at Sainsbury's just because I'm a minister. Just to clarify that, okay? I tried it, it doesn't work. (laughs) And so everyone is in this thing together in one way or another. So I'm not saying it for any of those reasons. I'm saying it because for 15 years, month after month after month we had test we have tested god in this and before we were married as single people we tested god in this month after month before we were in ministry month after month even when we lost jobs or job situations changed month after month even in times where where Kirsty was off of maternity leave month after month even in times where every appliance in the house seemed to blow up in the same month right you've been there come on be real there's moments where you're like, devil, where are you? Where, how is it? And just as you're doing that, the microwave blows up. I mean, there's times where every appliance in the house seems to go out wrong. And then you go out to your car and there's a nail in your tire again. And you're like, how does this happen? In one, even in those months, even when bills have felt overwhelming, even when we've had pay rises, which means that how much goes out comes up 
as well. We've tested God. We've trusted Him. We've honored Him with a section of our lives. And time and time again, God has proved Himself faithful. Time doesn't allow for me to share um, some testimonies. Maybe I will do next week about how we've seen God's hand of provision in just so many different ways. It almost gets ridiculous. He shows off time and time again. Now, you may say, well, well, hang on a minute. Does that mean that over the years, you know, over a year, there's thousands of pounds that are leaving your account? Yes. Now, I'm not saying, please hear my heart. I'm not saying this to say, oh, look at us because we're nothing. I'm saying this because we have tested him in this and found him to be faithful. Does that mean that I don't ever look at our bank account and think, what could we do with this finance? I'll be on. If, if I stood there and said, no, I have never thought that, I would be a liar. There are times when I thought, oh, what, what could we do with that? But then instantly I'm reminded it's not even mine to begin with. It's not even mine to begin with. And Christy is brilliant. She'll come along and go, oh, yeah, and you really think we'd receive all the blessings that we've received if we chose to withhold from God what is rightfully is. Okay, wife, you're, you're correct once again. Because we have tested him in this. And so the reason I choose not to worry is because I have tested God and found him to be faithful. His promise is that he will rebuke the devourer as we trust him. So my question is simple. Will we trust him? Now, I know that for some, your response is, well, I don't, I don't feel like I can right now. I don't, I don't feel. And again, God sees the heart. There's a difference between can't and won't. For some people, they won't tie. For others, they feel like because of debts and stuff, they can't right now. My encouragement to you is I have with many people before, and this was my journey, start somewhere. Start somewhere, even if it's just a section, even if it's just a portion, even 1%, and trust God. That's how I began time. Trust God to bring you to a place where you can test Him fully. And for others, you may say, well, I've been tithing for years. I know this message. Here's my challenge to you. Is it still a joy? Is it still a joy? Because tithing is meant to be something that's a joy, right? It's not an obligation. It's not a God tax. Let's be clear on this. It's not like, oh, the tax has gone up on my God charge. It's none of that. It's a joy. It's a joy. And that's why I think sometimes in the UK, we're not as good as expressing this as other places. But it's a joy to bring your tithe to the house of God. It's a joy for Kirsty and I to honor God in this section of our lives. So I want to challenge you. Is it still a joy to you? And are you still trusting God that he will be faithful to you in this season too? So we're going to pray. But listen, I pray that you've heard my heart today. Again, tithing has got nothing to do with your salvation. It's got nothing to do with God's love for you. If anyone else tells you differently, do not listen to a word they say or ask them where it is in scripture and that will get them to shut up really quickly. Because the truth is you could listen to this message and you could walk out of here and never give to God and his work and you'll still be saved if your faith is in Jesus. God will still love you immensely with his agape love. But whatever you do, don't get offended by this word. And, and it, let me say this. If you are offended this morning by this word, here's my challenge to you. Pray about it. Pray about why you are offended. Somebody once told me that, and, uh, wow, why do I teach on that? Why do I and as I prayed, I realized how much, because of different things, finances had a grip upon my life. And it was the most freeing things to explore why I was offended by the truth of God's word concerning this. God says, don't rob me, but test me. He asks the question, do we trust him and worship him and honor him with all of our lives? Are we willing to put him first? Test me. The question is, will 
New Testament. Let's just close our eyes just as we finish this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is truth. I thank you that your word is living and active, that it remains relevant today. And so, Lord, I just pray that in this time where we're running our race of faith, and looking to run our best lap yet. We know that there's stuff going on all around us in this, in this fallen world that is breaking to pieces bit by bit. And Lord, we know that though we're not of this world, we're living 24-7 in this world. And so Lord, I just pray for every single person under the sound of my voice who right now has been in this place of worry and concern and anxiety concerning their finances. Lord, I just pray a release from that right now. Lord, I pray that as they look to you, as they understand you as their ultimate provider, that all these fears and worries over time will just begin to drift away. And Lord, I pray that this word today would be a challenge to the heart of each and every single one of us. For those who, who maybe aren't in this place of tithing right now, Lord, I pray that they would be challenged and that they would just go and search your word and that they would just pray this through, Lord. But Lord, that they would know that there's no condemnation or, or, or judgment from heaven, Lord. Lord, I also pray for each and every single one of us who are tithing. Lord, I just thank you that it would remain a joy, that it would remain something that is a delight to do, to honor you with the first fruits of what we have. And as we do, Lord, we thank you for your promise, your promise, and you are not a man that you would lie, your promise that what you leave with us will be blessed and protected. In your mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen. And amen. Hey, thank you.